0: Everybody, Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Kent Engel, President of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael
1: Steiner, Vice President for Innovation and Communication.
0: I'm excited today. Wow. We, uh, yes. we are... We are interviewing an in-house celebrity Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for our show, Dr. Nate Pearson. Nate serves as the dean of our College of Social Sciences and Humanities here Mm. at SEU. He was the founding director of the Barry uh, Barry Center for Integrity and Leadership at Barry College. He served as professor, program chair, executive director of the Nerny Leadership Institute at Cabrini University, was assistant professor of leadership and interim program chair at West Virginia University. Wow, it's a privilege to have you today. Thanks, great to be here. Good. Well, uh, Nate, I, you're passionate about helping people. You know, every time I'm around you, I see that, I, I mm-hmm. you know, sense that, I discover that. But you are. You're very passionate about helping people discover and grow in their sense of, of meaning, their calling, their life purpose. And of course, here at, at SEU, we have a passion for helping students discover and develop their divine design. Yeah. design. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your... Um, Personal leadership—how you developed your your calling through your past and current leadership positions—and you know what have you learned?
2: Yeah, I, and that that passion for people has been the consistent piece for me. And it's not just the words; it's it's living it out. Um, my path was not linear, and I think that's an encouragement to sure, students. Right. Oftentimes, I was in ministry, then I moved into social services, and then into higher ed. And it was all linked together by by that, by helping people see what it is they feel like they're on this earth to do. As we say at SEU, that divine design right. idea. Um, you know, when I think about meaning, there's that big picture meaning and purpose. You know, what what is my life for? And I think oftentimes we stop there. But what's so important and the thing that we can control is the meaning that we find in the individual encounters. You know, those moments, whether it's tasting your favorite ice cream or seeing a friend that you haven't seen in a long time, that's the stuff that makes up a meaningful life, those axiologically meaningful moments, as you might call them. And from those together, then you see, wow, this is a life that was meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of us waste our time looking for the, the light to come on when we say, okay, now I'm at the point that my life has purpose that my life has mm-hmm. everlasting meaning and when we do that we put aside so much
1: of what can be meaningful along the way right yeah. right yeah, yeah and right. i feel like meaning you know especially we people talk about how meaning is essential for longevity right for mm-hmm. sustainability part of the problems where we face like burnout and different stuff like that is because people have a hard time connecting that meaning mm-hmm. how do you connect what you're doing with meaning with purpose even if it's not necessarily like you know your dream job yeah well, that's it, and, and even in the
2: dream job, every moment is not meaningful. Right. You know, when you're filling out the expense report or going through emails, it's not like you're sitting there going, "Like, wow, right. this is flow. Right, yeah. this is amazing." <laughs> right. um, so, you know, I think it's keeping keeping a focus on what it's for, the people yep. that it's impacting, um, that sense of contributing to something greater. Mm-hmm. I think about societally. I think we become more and more individualistic, especially as we get divided politically and don't necessarily know how to wade into different conversations on social media and things that we just... We kind of back off and we go, hey, I'm just going to stay on my lane. And for me, where I see the light come on for people with meaning is when they go, wow, I'm contributing to something that's beyond myself. And when we think yeah. about inspiring stories from history, whether it's our own nation or even further back or biblically, mm-hmm. it's people who were part of a movement in a particular direction.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I think that mindset, and, and what I heard from people, what I've heard from people as I've talked to them about avoiding things like burnout mm-hmm. is it's always about coming back to what's this thing for, what's mm-hmm. this really about? Yep. Um, at the end of the day, what's the difference that this is making, even if it's just a little chip in that direction.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the current state of leadership. You know, what is your assessment where you know where it stands overall, but what is changing and, and what is setting leadership apart, especially um, in our nation mm-hmm. today with all of the issues that challenges, those kinds of things? Yeah.
2: I think one thing is when people watch or read about a leader today, I would think the assumption is that they're not a person of integrity rather than Mm -hmm. they are. And that's a really sad shift. I don't know exactly when that shift took place, but it's almost like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. If you see someone whom you admire, you're just waiting for them to have some kind of scandal or fall or the real truth Mm -hmm. to come out. And so that creates a hardness in people. And so much work, so much writing and, and research in leadership, I think was wisely talking about followership. And the idea of followership is how do we contribute to the culture whether we're in a position of leadership or not? Less focus on that great man, that right. wonderful leader who's at the head that, that just carries the entire burden. And hey, what are we all doing to maintain this culture? So even if that great man or woman at the top has some kind of fall or steps away that something remains here and that we all have a part to play. I think that's an important piece because without that, we're all cynical. Yeah, mm-hmm, you that's know. true. Um, and skepticism in higher ed, it's an important part of of higher education, really. I mean, it's kind of part of a, a professor's job description is to ask questions and look at things critically. But when that leaks into cynicism, which I think so much of our culture has,
1: uh, I... I it's not a very good place to be in. Yeah. Right. Well, and there's so much sideways energy with that in being a leader, right? Like, just like you said, you, you step out, you're trying to accomplish things, you're trying to do big things, but off just because you're, just by being very nature at the top of the pyramid, mm-hmm. you're suspect mm-hmm. just at everything. Yep. How can new leaders, right? New people stepping in this new generation, right? Where, where it's a really exciting time where people who have never been given opportunities to lead before are leading at high yep. levels. How can they work to start healing that trust mm. between the two?
2: Well, I think being, being real, being authentic, is a huge piece there, being accessible, um, You know, keeping your humanity out front. I think for a long time, our understanding of leadership, the way that it was presented to us was you follow this particular model, you look this particular way. And in order to keep up that image, mm-hmm. you had to separate yourself from people because if they got too close, they might see that they were chinks in your armor, that like, maybe you were a person, like, yeah. maybe yeah. you yeah. had off moments or right. something like that. Followers want to see the off moments. Yeah. That's what lets them see, like, "Wow, he's yeah. a real person." And as you're real about that, as you're authentic about that.
0: Now, it, Nate, prior to your you entering into into the education field, you worked as a family therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also served as uh, an executive pastor. Tell us a little bit about those experiences and and roles and what you learned about servant leadership in those positions. Sure, uh, you
2: know so much of my personal journey in, whether it was in therapy or in leadership positions, um, in, in uh, well, let me just start that over. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm all shaken up now. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You know, so, so much of my experience in those various positions was a lot of learning for me uh, and realizing how much of a people pleaser that I am. So whether it was people coming in for therapy and sitting with them and the entire time realizing the thoughts going on in my head or, you know, am I gonna give them the the answers that they're mm. looking for? Uh, or in ministry, you know, is this what my senior pastor's looking for? Is this what people really need? There was a point where God really did some hardcore work with me, and it, it continues, of course, you know, mm. that, that journey of sanctification. In just looking at even my own Uh, feelings, my own motivations in why I was walking alongside people. You know The elements where I told myself, hey, this is about walking alongside folks and helping them. But there was a piece of it where I think too much of it was getting something for me uh, along the way. And so when that shift happens, I, I realized, and it became very clear as God was showing me, in the moments that I was fully focused on others, that was the place where I felt like my gifts came alive. They were most helped. They were brought closer to God. They saw transformation and change in their life, where when it was about me trying to put on my leadership hat and show that, hey, I'm I'm good Mr. Leader or good Mr. Counselor, the work was fine, but the transformation wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that's carried over for me, uh, being able to step back and check. And as I talked about earlier, you know checking my own authenticity and realness along the way you know what is my motivation my purpose for doing this there's so much change that occurs in leadership obviously change is a big part of therapy and mental health it's a, it's a big theme there right, right. and it's worth i think stepping back and saying are we just changing things for the sake
1: of it mm-hmm.
2: or is this change toward something you know yeah, what what's the goal right, there Right. so yeah. that's really something that became Right at the forefront for me.
1: So how do you integrate that with some of the, with the initiatives you're working on in the, in the College of Behavioral and Social mm-hmm. Sciences? Like, how do we teach our students about going that, level, that next level, not just you know, the mental health, mental care, but also full transformation?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, this, the word, the term servant leadership came up. And when we look at Robert Greenleaf's writing on servant leadership, at the very top of any of the characteristics of servant leadership, number one, listening, mm. number two, empathy, So the skills that you use the most in counseling, in ministry, where you're sitting with people, listening and empathy, amazing how there's transform into leadership. Those characteristics of servant leadership don't start with really good public speaking or being able to put together a business plan or moving things forward. Those come along the way. They're a piece of it. But what people are looking for when all said and done is, is my leader someone who listens to me? Is my, my leader someone who is trying really hard to understand where I'm coming from, to understand what my gifts are so that I can more uh, uh, readily utilize those and find meaning in the work that I'm doing? That's the stuff that I love doing in my current role. I sit with these faculty and it's like, wow, these are amazing people. How can I set you free Mm -hmm. to do the work that you're called to do, that you're activated? And that rubs off on our students. Mm -hmm. And then our students go, wow, you know, this professor is not caught up just trying to get up there and and blab a bunch of information to me or prove that they're so smart. This professor really cares about me because they're set free to do the thing that they're called to do. And therefore, I feel like I'm activated to do the thing Mm -hmm. that I'm called to do, to go into all the world and to come alongside folks and to... Live the life that I've been created to live. That's what I love to see.
1: Well, and I think it's so exciting because we're at this we're at this like really a golden age as far as um, mental health, you know, therapy. You think about some of the greatest yeah. like leadership thought leaders. You think Brene Brown, mm-hmm. who's a social work, mm-hmm. right? A social work that kind of qualitative yeah. stuff. What advice would you give to students who are contemplating stepping into this field? What do they need to be thinking about? How can they making, be making a difference yeah, in there? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think everybody's aware of mental
2: health. There are two signs to that coin. It's very positive. When all's said and done, you know, when the smoke clears, I think that's a really positive thing, that we're thinking about our mental health. At the same time, the catch that comes with that, right, is that that can become a barrier for folks if they see that awareness of mental health being a constant check along the way. So how are we aware of our mental health and yet at the same time moving forward. And I think a word that comes into play that I've been thinking a lot about lately there is resilience. Mm. How do we teach students to think about resilience, which sometimes means stepping away and taking care of you. Sometimes it means pushing through in a healthy way, even when it's uncomfortable. How do we teach our students what it is to be uncomfortable in a healthy way and then know the line where it's like, okay, this is beyond uncomfortable. Yeah. This is unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, the pendulum, like it does in so many areas, swings. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways it's swung so far here to the awareness side um, that we're losing some of that resilience piece. Yeah. And students, people in general, when they kind of catch a glimpse of that, oh, wait, you know, like I do have it in me. To push through this hard time and come mm. out somewhere else. The confidence that that brings, uh, the self-awareness that brings, the ability that they then have to share that with other people, I think really can be transformational. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, you, you we were talking about servant leadership and and you mentioned the components of listening and empathy, which to me are, are key components of relational intelligence, yeah. um, emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. How important is that in leadership. Oh my gosh, very very important. Hey. You know, it's
2: one thing to be an influencer. Michael and I were talking before the podcast started, you know, about the role of social media. And yeah. so many people can turn on their device and be an influencer but not really integrate or interact with people mm-hmm. at all. The definition of leader means that you're working with people, you know, to get yeah. them towards some kind mm-hmm. of common goal, right? As Peter Northhouse would say. And so if leadership is about people, you need to be in a place where you're willing to understand people. And it's not just, hey, those of you who are like me, come along with me, mm because then you're gonna automatically dismiss maybe the majority yeah. of folks that might come with you. Right. So emotional intelligence is key there. And understanding when you're, you're moving the ship forward, there's gonna be some discontent there, there's gonna be some uncomfortableness with change. So you're checking in with folks, and it doesn't mean along the way that people are limiting what you can do. Right. You know, you're not waiting for every last, last straggler per se, mm-hmm. but understanding, okay, these folks are with me, this person's really struggling. What's a way that I can help her or him be on board with the direction that we're going. Yeah. You know, rather than just leave them behind. I think it's yeah. important.
0: That's good.
1: Yep. And how can leaders So as leaders are thinking about being overwhelmed, right? So mm-hmm. we talk about this, this idea of burnout and mm-hmm. all this different stuff. We've been going back and forth, listening and stuff. How important is it to have the right people in your circle, right? The right people speaking into your lives. How can you have the right people? How do you identify that and how do you get their wisdom at the right time? Oh man, that's
2: that's very big. Uh, my dissertation work was with social service workers. um, And I wanted to interview those who had done it a long time Mm -hmm. because I saw so many who were burning out even after just getting their master's degree and going and working at Home Depot because they could get better money, better Mm -hmm. benefits, nine to five job, go home to their family and not have to carry the weight of that kind of heavy work. So I wanted to set out and research and talk to those people who had done it for 30, 40 years and continue to do that work. What sets them apart? Mm -hmm. How come they didn't burn out? And they they also didn't just become jaded and hard and and impenetrable. And what they told me about, one, was keeping a focus on what the work was all about. That was a big piece. But the other one that you've touched on, Michael, Mm -hmm. is being surrounded by the right community. And it was a community at work where you felt like there was support, but more importantly, Was stepping away from that place, whether it was family, close, real friends, people in your life who could just talk real to you, who could also give balance and say, hey, you know, like this is what the real world looks like. You know, like it's okay here. It's not always doom and gloom and trouble and negative. And you don't always have to put on your therapy hat or your professor hat or your president hat or your vice president hat. You know, there's a place where you can just be friend, dad, son. Right. That's yeah. so key yeah. uh, for all of us. And it comes back again, like we've talked about over and over again, authenticity, yeah, real, there's a humility that comes with it, but it's such a healthy humility. I think that humility can then launch us into a place where we can lead with confidence mm-hmm. because it's not fake. It's not that imposter syndrome. How do I turn this thing on? No, I'm just being
0: who I am. Yeah. And you do. You've published uh, you know, and, and written on, on leadership and, and burnout. How important it is, is mentorship and what kind of mentor do you need in your life? Oh, man.
2: Great. Great question. I love personally... I go out of my way to try to find mentors wherever I am, and you know I'm willing to make the call or send the email to say, "Hey, President Engel, you want to get together and get get coffee or get lunch?" You know, just speak into my life. And it, something that I looked at uh, a paper that I wrote a while ago was on formal mentoring versus informal mentoring. And what came out of that paper was. They're both important. Formal, by formal mentoring, I mean a lot of organizations, companies will have a program where right, right. you know, in your first year, you go through a, a, a series of things where you're paired with somebody or you're in a group and you work through different lessons and things. And then by the end, you kind of know your job a little bit better and you know some folks. Informal mentoring is just inviting people into your life to speak into your life. And from that paper... What came out was that informal mentoring really is the best hmm. of them all. because again, it's real relationship, right It's not just work directed. It's not like this is how you become a better professor, dean, mm. counselor, you know, yeah. teacher, whatever it might be. But it's you know this is how you develop in your own life. And sometimes it's not even a person giving you a list of things. okay, these are the, these are the five things you need to do to do better in your life. You're just spending time with someone. Whom you admire, who's been successful, even just as a human being, and you're just seeing what they do. You're gleaning from them, not even in an outright conversation. You're just like, wow, you know, one thing that I admire about this person is that they're always early, or that Mm -hmm. they, you know, have a consistent time with the Lord every morning, or or whatever it might be, and you're just learning along the way.
1: Yeah, I love. uh, There's a Tim Ferris book. I don't know if you've if Mm -hmm. you've read it, but the. um, the four hour work week. And he talked about this exercise. He always leads uh, students through when he's teaching guest lecturing about um, teaching them how to get the right mentor in their life. So it's like literally this thing where um, students go in and he challenges them. He literally is like, I'll give you $10,000 if you can get a fortune 500 CEO to respond to an email about you, and he teaches them all the different principles and stuff. How would you suggest, what advice would you give to students as they're kind of pursuing that mentors, how to go about kind of getting that response and really you know, creating a healthy relationship there?
2: Yeah, there's a sweet spot because on one hand, to uh, Tim Ferriss's point, people people are busy, especially in those positions, right. you know, and they're getting all kinds of emails about all kinds of things. And probably somebody before it even gets to them is pulling them right. out of the inbox and putting them aside. You know, they're, they're getting sifted through before it even gets there. So it's important to get kind of directly to the point. At the same time, what I found is that the assumptions we sometimes have about people in leadership positions that, you know, they're too busy or they wouldn't mm. be interested are actually not true at all. Right. Because... The reality is most people think that way. Yeah. So if you go to a large church or a lord lord excuse me. If you go to a large church or a large organization and you think, "Oh, this pastor or the CEO isn't going to have time for me." Mm. Everybody else is feeling that way as well. So no yeah. one's actually reaching reach out, out. out. Yeah. And here's somebody in a leadership position if they've been successful and they're real at all, they wanna share that, they wanna speak into lives, they Mm -hmm. wanna develop the next generation. So finding a way to get past perhaps all the, the fences and barriers that might be there to reach the person directly I think once you have that opportunity, whether it's at a conference or popping yeah. into the office, making a an appointment, even if it's under the auspices of something else that might get you in the door, mm-hmm. if you make that ask, I think people will find much more often than they would expect, somebody's gonna be willing to say, Yeah, I'll yeah. spend time yeah. with you. That's no good. strings attached, that's beautiful. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's right. We're going to close our conversation out, moving to our fire round. Uh, and as you know, we ask a few questions surrounding kind of everything we've discussed uh, on the podcast. And, of course, you know, answer with your gut. Okay. And, uh, and we, uh, we want to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice from uh, your experiences for our listeners. So, Michael,
1: fire away. Love it. Love it. So uh, if a student is considering jumping into the social sciences what advice would you give them like what would, what should be the thing that tips them either way
2: well i think the great thing that they'll experience getting into the social sciences specifically is that it's hands on mm-hmm. you know so very early on they're going to be trying it on and to me that's the best kind of education you could get it's not just theoretically it's going and trying it on mm-hmm. And, you know, there are so many different populations that people can work with. So you'll have an opportunity in any of our programs to try to work with different from kids to adults to seniors to people that maybe had uh, mm-hmm. developmental disabilities. They would have an opportunity to get that. And you're going to have faculty here at SEU that are going to mentor you, you know, talking mm-hmm. about mentoring people who have done the work yeah. and can walk you through it
0: each step of the way. Yeah, what course are you most excited to teach this coming fall?
2: Oh man, uh, I've got a couple. One is all the deans have an opportunity to wade into our foundational courses. We're teaching oh. a, a basic leadership uh, two hundred one course. Okay, so I'm doing a bunch of section of that and and really have carte blanche to shape that thing. Oh, that's great. So that's going to be a lot of fun to meet so many of the undergrads. The other one, the one that ties with it, is I'm
1: teaching a history of leadership class at mm. the grad level. That's just going to be really exciting. That's awesome. That's so fun. Last question question for us. Um, What's one book you think that all young leaders should read to sustain, to make it through, to kind of uh, keep them encouraged in their new roles?
2: A book that I love, there's so many to choose from, but one that I found really life-shaping is Mindset by Carol Dweck, um, where she looks at so often we live in a fixed mindset. So, you know, you come on, do a podcast afterwards, you think, man, I really bombed that thing. I should never do a <laughs> podcast again. And what she says, really, the way to live our lives is with a growth mindset. Yeah. So, if you go on, you do a podcast and you bomb, then you tell yourself, hey, next time I do a podcast, I'm gonna prepare better. I'm gonna you know, think through, I'm gonna be careful with my words, whatever that might be. So, then you challenge yourself to do better and you learn from it. But we too often disqualify ourselves from things because we mm. screw up the first time. Yeah. yeah, I love that that principle. Yeah. Well, you didn't bomb today,
1: so you didn't bomb. <laughs> no, you it, didn't it, bomb. It, Not it, any stress. It was wonderful. Yep.
0: We, uh, uh, Dr. Nate Pearson, we want to thank you for joining us on Framework Leadership, and uh, look forward to our next cup of coffee or awesome. having lunch or dinner together. Because I learn from you uh, just as much as you may learn from me. So well, it's always a great. Uh, Great time. We can can have some time together and, and, and grow in our leadership. If you want to stay up to date with Dr. Pearson, you can follow him on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Nate Pearson. Love is that it. it? Is there any other place? At, yeah, That's
1: it. Good. Love it. Love it. And for more leadership content, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Engel or at Dr. Michael Steiner. Or if you're on Twitter, the Elon Musk's Twitter now, you can also check us out at Kent Engel. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, now is a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you get leadership content right to your YouTube feed every single week. You never miss an episode. You can also visit our website, kentingles.com. Sign up for our newsletter. The newsletter is fantastic. It's really great. It's got a ton of great insights, articles, books, recommendations to grow your leadership, no matter what field you're in. Thank you all so much for listening to Framework Leadership, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.